So we are in our year of mission. We have a Bible reading plan that maybe some of you did and some of you didn't get a copy of last week. We have a whole new batch of them over at Next Steps. If you want to grab a Bible reading plan, they're also available digitally online, friendshipwire.com. Uh, let me mention this. If you've, if you've jumped into our reading plan or have yet to do that, it's pretty light reading this first month. It's in concert with our sermon series, uh, Leadership in the Church, uh, and it's content that just goes with this sermon series. We're just focusing on leadership in the church. Church and what the Bible has to say about that uh, in February as we jump into our next series, which is a 17-week series in the book of Acts. Uh, it'll get more intense then, but just to let you know, uh, Acts is a 28-chapter book of the Bible, so to spread 28 weeks of reading over 17, you would be reading like five verses a day. So it gets a little bit more intense uh, in February. You're going to start reading through Genesis and so forth. So it's about three chapters of reading a day. So enjoy the light reading. I, I shouldn't say that when it comes to God, God's Word. Um, it's going to get more intense. It's going to ramp up in February. So just wanted to make you aware of that. Bible reading plans available for you. Uh, we are in this series, as I mentioned, called Leadership in the Church. And in this year of mission, our goal is to reach people with the good news of the gospel and to make disciples as Jesus has called us to. So the question is, why leadership? Why are we talking about leadership in the church? Well, if if the church, if we are going to accomplish the mission that God has given to us to make disciples, then we uh, as a church need to have healthy, uh, God-ordained, uh, functioning, God-given roles, uh, leaders in their God-given roles. And so like, as I think about this, you know, as we talk through this, because this morning is, there's a lot, it's, I'm going to turn into full like teacher mode this morning. There's a lot of content and it, and it might be easy to get lost in it all uh, and wonder how it applies to us. But here's, here's my thought this morning. I wish I could have said this in the first service is anytime the leader gets better, anytime the leadership gets better, everyone gets better everything gets better. We believe that everything rises and falls on leadership. So when leadership in the home gets better, everybody benefits from that. When leadership in the church gets better, everything gets better. And so this is why we are in this series. Uh, the goal is to really to dig into the New Testament, discover what the Bible teaches in regards to New Testament church leadership, which by the way, may or may not uh, agree with all that you have, have seen and known. All right, so be prepared that if what you've experienced in church leadership doesn't line up with the Bible, our goal is to come into alignment with what the scriptures teach. So that's what we are doing in this series. Let me give you a quick reminder or review, recap these four weeks broken down into these four subject uh, matter, to topics, whatever you want to call it. Chief Shepherd, uh, head over all, which let me just give you, let me see if you retained anything from last week. Who is the Chief Shepherd? Jesus, all right, is Jesus. He is head over all. If you said God, I'll, I'll give you points for that, all right? You are correct. Um, number two, which we'll talk about today, the elders who feed and lead. Uh, we'll talk about that this morning. Uh, and then next week, the deacons who serve. Week number four, the flock who follows. So we're going to break all this down over these next few weeks. Um, I had a great question that I just want to bring up. Uh, I had it last week after the sermon. I uh, thought this was a, a healthy um, you know, good question. The question was, okay, so um, in a Southern Baptist church or in a Baptist church, um, 
is, is there anything from the Southern Baptist Convention that is, uh, is in charge of how we do things in our church or how we lead or if we change anything in our church? Is that coming through the Southern Baptist Convention? Uh, so here's, that was a great question. One of the things that distinguishes us as, as Baptists, one of the things is baptism, all right, uh, what we believe about baptism. But a second thing is what we call the, the autonomy of the local church. Which, which means that we are a self-governing church. There's no outside authority that's saying, do things this way or change this. Uh, we are a self-governing church. Uh, and so I thought that was a great question. And what I think is going to happen through the course of this morning and maybe through the series is there going to be more questions that I think are good questions um, that I'm not going to take on a Sunday morning like in this forum, uh, but we're going to have our version of a midweek Bible study Q&A this Wednesday. Uh, we're going to do it on YouTube, okay? And so uh, we'll have the link on our social media or if you want to go directly there, youtube.com. Our handle is Friendship Wired. Um, seven o'clock on Wednesday, uh, I have a list of things that just weren't going to fit into the sermon, um, some things that I want to share, and you may have questions that I would encourage you to jot those down between now and Wednesday. If you want to jump on that, uh, you'll be able to comment and jump on the chat box there, and uh, in real time, we can kind of talk through this stuff. So that's this Wednesday at 7 o'clock. So get ready. We're going we're gonna to dive into the subject um, of, of the elders who feed and lead. A uh, lot of content this morning. Again, I'm going into full teacher mode. There's a lot of stuff. Uh, if you're a note taker, you may find yourself frustrated this morning, uh, but you can always catch up with our digital bulletin and sermon notes. It's all in there every single week. Uh, there will be verses and things I don't touch on today that are in there that you can uh, access and utilize. So, here we are, four big things to know about elders. Four big things to know about elders. Here's number one, we're gonna jump right into it. In the New Testament, there are three titles for this one office. Three titles for this one office. In other words, we see three terms that are, are synonymous terms. They're used interchangeably, but they mean the same thing. They refer to the same office. We, we talked about this briefly last week, but here are the three, three words in, in English are elder, overseer, and pastor. Elder, overseer, and pastor. Some translations uh, translate overseer as bishop. Some translate pastor as shepherd, but they all come from a Greek word. So elder comes from the Greek word uh, presbyteros, uh, and that speaks to the spiritual maturity of the office, the spiritual maturity of the office. Sometimes when we heard the, hear the word elder, what do you think of? You think of somebody who's what? Not young, <laughs> right? And so it's not speaking necessarily to the age. This doesn't mean to be an elder. You've got to be older. It just means there is a, a, a spiritual maturity that an elder possesses. Another term is, is overseer. Uh, it comes from the Greek word episkopos. Uh, and what this means, it speaks to the leadership and direction for the church. So elder is more descriptive of, of, of character, uh, overseer has to do more with the function of, of the man filling this office. He oversees, he leads and directs the church. Third term is pastor or, or shepherd, which comes from the Greek word poimen. Uh, and that, that speaks to feeding and nurturing and protecting the flock. Feeding, nurturing, and protecting 
the flock. The, the noun form of this uh, only occurs once in the New Testament. It's Ephesians 4.11. It talks about gifts that God has given to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, or shepherds and teachers. Uh, most of the time, this word is used in its verb form, which means to shepherd. All right, so three different terms, but they all speak to the same office and kind of different areas of, of, of how that um, describes the person filling that office. Elder, overseer, pastor. So when we speak of elders, we're talking about pastors. When we talk about pastors, we're talking about elders. It's synonymous with one another. So be aware of that. That's number one. Number two is this. Elders must be biblically qualified. Elders must be biblically qualified. So if you've been around here, you know that whenever we towards the end of the year, bring up uh, deacon nominations, we look at the qualifications to be a leader. There's, there's certain things that are laid out in 1 Timothy 3 um, about being a, a, a deacon in the church. Uh, also, there are in 1 Timothy 3 qualifications for one who would, who would fill the office of elder or pastor. 1 Timothy 3, there's also a parallel passage in Titus chapter 1. These are both part of what we call the pastoral epistles. So they tell us how do we be qualified or what kind of men are we looking for to fill this office. Now, we're going to read 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, uh, and, and I'm not going to comment a lot on that, but I do want us to read through these together. I think it's important when we talk about an elder, we've always got to consider what type of, of person fills this office. So in, I've got to fly over this. That thing has been in, it's, it's been a number of flies all week. As we're doing construction, I should have known, I'm just going to bug me while I'm preaching. All right, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> First Timothy 3. Starting verse number one, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household well, uh, how will he care for God's church? He must, uh, verse 6, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare, of the devil. And so let me just let me just put it in three broad categories when I think about the qualifications for an elder or for a pastor. Uh, I would separate it into these three things: calling, character, and family. Calling, character, and family. For sake of time, we're not going to spend uh, we're not going to go through all of these, but calling is this inward this inward um, desire, this aspiring to this office, to this position, not aspiring to be in control or to have power, but this, this desire to lead God's people. Uh, character, you see it all throughout these qualifications, that it's all about the character of the person. And, and then it, we, see it, we see him talk about um, family. If you can't lead your family well, if you can't lead your home well, then you ought not to be leading the church. So it's leading yourself, your character, but then it's leading your family well. And these are all biblical 
qualifications. And one of the things I want to refer you to, if you want to dig in a little bit more to this, is, is another sermon. Um, when I was thinking about this, the very first sermon I preached uh, as lead pastor of Friendship uh, occurred on June 30th, 2019, and it was called Ready to Lead. I mean, I was, I was ready to lead, and I wanted to share, uh, based on 1 Timothy 3, uh, what I called my five ongoing uh, intentions, five things based on these qualifications that I just wanted to be true of me as I, as I led this church. And so uh, it was interesting. I, I pulled it up yesterday and I decided to listen to it. And I was fully expecting it to be really cringeworthy. You know what I'm saying? If you ever looked at old pictures or things that you've said and you're like, ugh. Um, and I listened to it yesterday and Damn, that was actually a really good sermon, y'all. <laughs> um, I was pretty impressed. I was like, man, uh, I've gotten worse over the years. Um, but I would refer you to that. So I've got a link to it in our digital bulletin and sermon notes. Uh, again, uh, and I felt, I felt really good about um, the things that I said and the way that I've attempted to lead over the years. I felt, I felt good about it. So I want to encourage you. Uh, it's all based out of 1 Timothy 3. I think that's the only other time I've preached out of this passage uh, since I've been here. Um, you can, this, so these, this occurred in the days prior to us getting video, a video feed. So it's, it's audio. So you can listen to it on the website or on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Um, but it's there for you, ready to lead. So elders must be biblically qualified. So I don't want to take a lot of time on this next thought um, about being biblically qualified, but I do think it's important. I think it's important for us to talk about. Uh, in the church, in the broad worldwide church, there are differing views on women in leadership. And I thought it was important for me to just touch on this for a moment. There will be more time if you have questions in our midweek Q&A. Um, so let me start by saying this. I firmly believe that women should serve and lead in the church. I do. I believe that they're gifted with all the same gifts that men are, that they should use them to glorify God. Uh, and, and if you look around our church, I think you'll see that. We have women who serve in leadership in multiple roles in this church. Uh, and so I believe they should serve, they should lead. But I will say this, however, uh, is that I believe that God has reserved the office of elder for biblically qualified men. And, and, and let, me, the let me make sure I qualify. Biblically qualified men. Not just any old man who wants to lead a church. And, and I will say this. That if we're using the biblical qualifications for a pastor or elder, I believe there are probably many, many men who are serving as pastors who are not biblically qualified. That if you were to, if you were to hold their life up to the qualifications, how they lead their home, if, if you look at some of these things like not being, uh, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, I'm... Enough said, right? Biblically qualified men. So, so important. Stressing biblically qualified, the character of the man. So this belief, you probably never heard this term, it's called uh, complementarianism. Complementarianism. I just want to read a quick quote to you to help maybe clarify uh, this or to amplify it. Complementarianism, this comes from gotquestions.org, silly website name, very good content. Complementarianism is the teaching that masculinity and femininity are ordained by God and that men and women are created to complement or complete each other. 
complementarians believe that the gender roles found in the Bible are purposeful and meaningful distinctions that, when applied in the home and the church, promote the spiritual health of both men and women. Embracing the divinely ordained roles of men and women furthers the ministry of God's people and allows men and women to reach their God-given potential. So God has created us to complement each other. They're purposeful, meaningful distinctions. I do want to clarify one of the things I underlined there was in the home and in the church. And we're not necessarily addressing leadership in the workplace or the, the marketplace, but God has ordained male headship in the home and in the church. And again, we won't take a lot of time here, but in the home, Ephesians 5 speaks very clearly to husbands leading as Christ loved the church, wives following their husbands as the church is to follow Christ. Um, very important in the home, in the church. You could look at 1 Timothy 2 and 3 that uses some very clear language. Now, I respect, uh, I respect people who would disagree with that, who would differ on that. I just believe that the New Testament speaks very clearly on male headship in the home and in the church. And so hear me out. It's not about value. It's about role. It's not about value. It's about role. God has created men and women equally. They're of equal value to God. Uh, Men are not superior. Women are not inferior. You could look at the life of Jesus and how he valued women as well as men, and you'll see that clearly from his life and ministry. Um, But God did create genders to be distinct from one another in order to complement one another and ultimately to glorify the Lord. And so, you know, so that's, that's my stance on that and what I believe the Bible teaches. Again, if you have questions about that, uh, jump on our Q&A. Um, it'll be funner for me to sweat, um, you know, behind a screen. I'm just kidding. Um, but Q&A, if you have questions about that, because I, I know that's, that's a subject. And, uh, and, and my desire is that our, our church would reflect what the scriptures teach. So complementarianism uh, is that idea. But back to briefly the, the qualifications. Again, the emphasis here, elders must be biblically qualified, which speaks to character and calling and, and family. And, and here's the thing, when you look at this, there, there, there is one, there is one qualification on there that speaks to aptitude or ability, uh, and it's able to teach. That's the, the thing that sets elders apart from deacons and from everyone else is the ability to, to teach. Um, everything else, honestly, are, are character qualities that every single one of us should strive for. Right? They're, they're, they're just normal, healthy things. Let me read you this quote from, from D.A. Carson. He says, The most remarkable thing about these characteristics is that there's nothing remarkable about them. When you read them, you go, Oh, if I'm a faithful follower of Jesus, yeah, I should be gentle. I should be respectful. I should be hospitable. These are all normal things for a healthy follower of Jesus. And so let me just define again an, an elder and how I would define an elder. An elder is a man of godly character called by God who leads himself and his family well. So it's, it's a, godly, a man of godly character called by God, leads himself well, who leads his family well. So elders, number two, must be biblically qualified. Number three, The consistent New Testament pattern is a plurality of elders. The consistent New Testament pattern is a plurality of elders. So plural, what's plural mean? More than what? 
More than one, all right? It doesn't specify how many, but it's always more than one. Plurality of elders. This may be the one thing that we talk about today. If you've been in Baptist church, most Baptist churches, you'll, you might like cock your head a little bit at this one because chances are you haven't seen this. You haven't seen this model even here. A plurality of elders. So we're kind of used to, uh, in, a, in a lot of churches, uh, a model that's more like CEO, pastor, and then you have other, you know, maybe, maybe you have other pastors, but they're kind of subordinate. Um, they're under the lead pastor who is the top dog. That's a little different than what we're talking about with a plurality of elders. So this concept, it's a concept of shared leadership or team leadership. And it's common, really, throughout the whole Bible. You go to the Old Testament, you see the nation of Israel. They're led by elders, which is different than elders in the New Testament church, but you see this kind of shared leadership. When you move into the New Testament, you see Jesus on the scene. He had disciples, uh, this circle of disciples that was made up of men and women, but then he called 12 specifically to be apostles who were, by the way, male, uh, and he called these 12 apostles. And so there's this, this shared leadership that you kind of see throughout the Bible. When you come to the New Testament, uh, whenever it uses this phrase elders, which is the most common of those three terms that is used, it always refers to elders in the plural. It's always elders, multiple elders. Well, there's a couple occasions where it speaks of, you know, a specific elder, but whenever it talks about leadership in the church, it refers to it in, in the plural. So I want to read you a quote from Wayne Grudem, who says this, first, no passage suggests, no passage in the scriptures or New Testament suggests that any church, no matter how small, had only one elder. The consistent New Testament pattern is a plurality of elders in every church, Acts 14, and in every city, Titus 1. Second, we do not see a diversity of forms of government in the New Testament church, but a unified and consistent pattern in which every church had elders, plural, governing it and keeping watch over it. So let's look briefly at those, those two passages that he references here. Acts 14, 23, it says, And when, when they, Paul and Barnabas, had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So you see Paul and Barnabas, they appoint elders in every church. So multiple elders. Titus 1, verse 5. Paul says, this is why I, Paul, left you, Titus, in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So in every church, in every town and city, there are elders, multiple elders that are to be, to be put into place. So plurality of elders, it's shared uh, leadership, shared uh, authority, shared responsibility, shared accountability amongst this group. There was equality across elders. A good model, I think, for us is what we call the Trinity, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that they are three and they're co-equal and yet they are, are one. And that's kind of a model for, for eldership. So with that in mind, you might have some questions like, what, is that, what does that look like? How does that flesh out in the life of a church? So let me let me mention a couple big things that'll help us maybe wrap our, our, our minds around this. Uh, the subject of staff and non-staff elders or staff and non-staff 
pastors. So typically what we know of is, you know, a senior pastor or maybe multiple pastors who uh, are paid. They're on the payroll of, of the church. So the Bible does teach that those who work for the church deserve to be paid. And you see a number of scriptures there that we won't look at, um, but please feel free to look at those on your own. The Bible teaches, hey, uh, the, the laborer is worthy of, of his wages. And so many examples there, uh, particularly those who give most of their time and energy to shepherding and teaching the, the church. So it's, it's right and good for, for pastors to be paid, but not all must be or even should be necessarily paid by the church. In fact, I would say, what you see, you see Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, he declines the right to be paid, to be, um, you know, provided for by the church. He was a tent maker, which means he had his own job where he was providing for himself. Uh, so I would say that I believe it's healthier if there is a mixture of, of, of staff and non-staff, which, which means paid and, and unpaid. Uh, vocational and, and volunteer is another way you could say it. Uh, in other words, I think it's healthy to have some who work for the church and are paid by the church, and then some that are, uh, don't work for the church and are not paid by the church. I think it is healthier to have a mixture of that for multiple reasons. One, financially, it, it, it helps lessen the burden on the church. But two, there's just different perspectives, practically, from someone who is employed and someone who, who isn't employed. And I think there's a lot of other reasons. Um, but staff and non-staff, that's one of those things for our church in particular that we don't have, we haven't had. And so that might be a question for you. So a plurality of elders would include both staff and non-staff. I would say this too, this is just my preference, uh, I think it should be at least 50-50, if not more non-staff pastors. I just think it's healthier when you're not being paid by the church uh, to have more of your plurality made up of non-staff uh, elders. Uh, here, here's a second thought. This is probably a new term for 90% of you. First among equals. First among equals. This isn't a term that you'll find in the scriptures, but it's a principle that you, you see in there. A first among equals. Because a question might be, okay, so if you have this equality of, you know, you have this plurality of elders and they're all equal, like, have you heard the term, the buck stops here? When it comes to leadership, who is the one who makes the decisions? Who calls the shots? Where does, where does the final decision, who, whose desk does that land upon? And I think this, this principle will help us understand that. First, among equals. Let me read you this quote from uh, a guy named Benjamin Merkel. He wrote this uh, great book called 40 Questions About Elders and Deacons. And he says this, We would be mistaken, however, to claim that all elders are equal in giftedness, or leadership skills. Again, Strzok, he's referring to a man named Alexander Strzok. He's written kind of the, the seminal work on eldership in the church called Biblical Eldership. He says, Strzok aptly comments, although elders act jointly as a council and share equal authority and responsibility for the leadership of the church, all are not equal in their giftedness, biblical knowledge, leadership ability, experience, or dedication. This distinction is often referred to as first among equals. Jesus himself practiced this concept. Out of the 12, think about the 12 disciples or apostles. You, you see Peter, James, and John were chosen to receive special attention from the master. So throughout the, the ministry of Jesus, you see Peter, James, and John are kind of the inner three out of the disciples. And yet out of the three, Peter often was 
singled out and given special leadership. It may be because he was the loudest, you know what I'm saying? Um, So because of his gifts and calling, he was the most prominent among the apostles. Yet Peter was an apostle, just like the rest of the twelve. He was never given a special title. He didn't wear special or different clothes or receive a higher salary. I don't think he got a salary, uh, by the way. The others were not subordinate to him or function as his attendants or servants. He was equal in rank and authority to the rest of the apostles. At the same time, he was a natural leader and as such became the first among equals. So this principle that you see laid out here is, you know, the the disciples are are equal in their position, their authority. There's no one who had like, there was not a hierarchy of leadership. They were all equal. And yet there there was one who was the first among equals that was a little more out front that kind of took the lead more. This is the first among equals principle. So you could, in a plurality of elders, uh, have one pastor or elder who functions as the first among equals. And in most churches, that would be uh, the one that would take the role of a lead pastor or senior pastor. But the difference is uh, the senior or lead pastor isn't making all the decisions on his own. He's making that with the team with the plurality of, of elders. So first among equals, that's an important principle. So let me just talk about some very practical reasons for implementing a plurality of, of elders. Really four things that I just want to share with you. Um, number one is this, biblical accountability. Biblical accountability. This prevents uh, a dictatorship. Uh, this prevents an abuse of power. When you have a pastor who operates or functions as a CEO, you know what CEOs do. They call all the shots, right? So this kind of helps prevent that when you have a plurality of, of elders. Uh, I, I'd refer to what Proverbs talks about, iron sharpens iron. When you have multiple men who share leadership, um, there is a sharpening that takes place when you encourage and help uh, come alongside one another. Um, here's another issue that is a very practical issue when it comes to leadership in the church. And I've heard this question, and, and I've heard this question about, even about me. So who holds the pastor accountable? And that's a good question. That is a great question. But here's the complication with that question, is when you have a solo pastor, um, typically what happens in a church is you have maybe the group of deacons or some other group by whatever name they go by, um, feels like their responsibility is to keep the pastor accountable. Here is the conflict there, is that when you have a shepherd or an an under-shepherd, under-shepherd as we refer to elders as, you have a shepherd and you have the flock, Sheep don't lead the shepherd. And so that makes it awkward and uncomfortable, and that's not how it ought to be. And so in a plurality of elders, you provide accountability because the elders hold one another accountable. Elders hold accountable, uh, hold elders accountable. And so there's this biblical accountability that is healthy in a plurality of, of elders. Here, here's a second one. Uh, balance. It provides balance. To implement a plurality provides balance. Because let's be real, there's no one man, there's no one pastor who possesses all of the gifts, all of the skills, the ability, the time to do everything that God calls his shepherds to do. Uh, so 
thinking of it in, in terms of this church. Y'all are limited to my gifts and my personality and my leadership. Whereas when you have a plurality of elders, it, you have multiple men with multiple giftings that balance one another out, multiple personalities. And so there's, there's balance um, there. So that's the second one. Here's the third one, burden sharing. If y'all notice, everyone starts with a B. It's because I'm a good pastor. I, I alliterate. Burden sharing. So the ministry load is shared across multiple leaders. This prevents burnout. So I'll be honest with you with this. The time frame in which this became a more serious conversation in our church, it was in my heart and mind from the beginning before I even came here. But it became really intense coming through the year 2020 coming out of COVID, I felt as the lead pastor of this church, the full weight and the full burden of leadership. Because here I am a new lead pastor. We're in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, which no pastor has been trained for. <laughs> Can I tell you that? And then we were also on top of all that in the middle of a political season. It was like a cocktail of, of you know, terror. It was awful. Um, and we, we are coming out of that. And I am feeling, feeling the full weight of all of that. And every decision that the pastor makes is scrutinized. And I feel all of that. And I'm telling y'all, this is why I believe so many pastors bail and give up and burn out and quit the ministry. Because no one man was created to bear the weight of the leadership of God's flock. The chief shepherd can, but man, he's, he's ordained that there would be a plurality of, of men to share the burden. So, and, and you know, and just when you think about it in general, team leadership is so much more healthy. I mean, even, even the scriptures speak to it. Ecclesiastes 4 says two are better than what? One. Team leadership, shared burden shared burdens. So here's a fourth reason. It's just a better picture of the church. It's just a better picture of the church that ministry uh, isn't reserved. It's not just for the select few or the paid professional. It's for everyone. It is for everyone. And so a plurality of elders is just a better, better picture of the church. So there's, there's many practical reasons for implementing a plurality of elders, but let me just make sure I say this as I end this point. The best reason to implement a plurality of elders is not to be more pragmatic, it's to be more biblical. It's just to do, it, it, we're not just doing it because it works better, which that is a benefit. We want to do it because we want to honor the Lord and his word and follow what he has said. Amen? We want to be more biblical. Okay, number four, fourth and final. What do elders do? Number four, God gives elders the responsibility to feed and lead his flock. God gives elders the responsibility, the privilege to feed and lead his flock. So there's a lot of things that the Bible talks about that elders, pastors are to do. I, I feel like all of them fall into one of these two buckets, to feed and to lead. So let me just kind of briefly define that. To feed is to to teach, to bring to maturity, to one of the principal roles of a, a spiritual shepherd is to guard from false teaching, false doctrine, false teachers. So to feed the flock. This is why, y'all, last year we spent the whole year going through the Word because there's nothing more important that, that I do 
than to feed you the word of God, that then point you to the scriptures as your ultimate authority. So leading is so important. But man, if I neglect, if I abdicate this role of feeding, man, I open up the church to all kinds of, of heresy and all kinds of sin if I don't guard and protect the flock through teaching. But then there's this aspect of leading, which is to be an example. One of the things you see throughout the New Testament is that one of the ways elders lead the church is they provide an example of what it means to follow Christ, of what it looks like to be a Christ follower. Y'all, this is why those, those qualifications are so important because they're all about character. And if I or any other elder is gonna be an example to you of what it looks like to follow Christ, man, I better have a life that is above reproach. I better have a life that is full of character and holiness. And so we lead by being an example, by shepherding, um, which also includes, uh, and we won't talk about this much, but discipline in the church, spiritual or, or, or church discipline to protect the health and the purity of the body. Uh, leading also includes equipping, equipping people for the work of ministry, Ephesians 4. Let me just, let me just like zoom in on three passages briefly on this fourth point. Feed and lead the flock, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. We saw this last week, but Peter says this. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Here, here's what I'm calling you to do, elders. Here's your responsibility. Verse two, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So you see a couple words there, that shepherd, poimene, oversight is that uh, Episcopos, uh, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, okay, not for power, not for money, but, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. See the, the, the leadership principle there. You're to shepherd the flock. You're to exercise oversight. You're to be an example to the flock. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verses 20, uh, 26 to 31. Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. He says this, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I've, I've preached, I've fed you the word of God. Verse 28, he says to these elders, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's the one who calls. He's the one who puts you in place. He's made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, Paul says, after I leave, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, they'll come in from the outside and they'll also arise from within. Men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, elders, therefore, pastors, be alert, remembering that for Three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So Paul very adamantly speaks to these elders and says, it is your job to watch over the flock, to feed them, to lead them, to protect them from wolves that come from the outside and from those that come from the inside. Your job is to feed and lead. You are to be a shepherd of God's people. 
This is the role. This is the responsibility. Now do you understand the weight of this? How no one man can adequately shoulder that weight. No one can. 1 Timothy 5, 17. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. The elders who who lead or manage well, let them be considered worthy of of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, there's some denominations in some churches that would divide, you know, ruling elders and teaching elders. They're really all in one category. he's, He's specifying those who rule or those who lead well. We're all called to do that. So let me just kind of wrap it up with this this phrase. God calls a plurality of elders, men who are biblically qualified to feed and lead his flock. God calls a plurality of elders, men who are biblically qualified to feed and to lead his flock. So Let's just end with a couple pieces of of application. Like, how does this apply to our church specifically? How does this apply to every single one of us? Well, there's obvious application for for our church. Uh, We have have always, as as far back as I I know, we've always employed pastors, uh, right? We've always employed and paid pastors. Uh, Even though we've done that, uh, I would say that we've operated by a common, very common, yet unbiblical leadership structure. So let me read you one more quote from this guy, Benjamin Merkel. He says this. Maybe this will help you if you think of, of leadership in terms of like the, the marketplace or in, in, in companies. He says this, the organizational structure of many churches today bears almost no resemblance to the pattern found among the New Testament churches. Because of the professionalization of the ministry, the rise of pragmatism, and the growing size of congregations, the biblical model has been set aside for something more modern or more efficient. As a result, countless churches have embraced the corporate business model and thereby marginalized the biblical model. These churches, ourselves included, have adopted a staff-led structure as opposed to an elder-led structure. In many churches, and here's where he kind of breaks it down, the deacons, or a council by some other name, function as the board of trustees. They're in charge of hiring and firing the senior pastor who reports to this board. The senior pastor functions as the CEO. He is the president of the church and is responsible for giving the church vision and success. The members of the pastoral or ministerial staff function as vice presidents over various ministries, whether it's evangelism, music, youth, children, missions, etc. The congregation comprises the shareholders who, as a body, vote to elect the various trustee members. The result of this structure or other non-biblical structures is that churches struggle to understand and implement the concept of a plurality of elders. So, so this is kind of the model that we have employed as a church. Again, there are some good things, but ultimately it's not the biblical model. So let me, let me uh, I know there's going to be questions about this. And again, that's why we have, we're having a Q&A. Um, but I'm going to put up a statement. It's got to fill in the blank. And, and I just want to see what, what you all conclude from this. If we as a church want to recover a biblical model of church leadership, a biblical model of church leadership, it would require blank. What would it require? 
It would require, see, that wasn't even in my mind, but y'all went there. Change. It would require change. It would require us coming into alignment with what God's word says, which means we would have to move to a plurality of elders. Um, unless any lest anybody accuse me of a power grab, this is kind of like, no, spreading the power, spreading the authority to where it's, it ought to be, which is a plurality, no longer resting on one man's shoulders. And so we'll talk about this more in the coming weeks and the coming uh, next few months, uh, because we believe this is where God is, is leading us. We believe it's biblical. So that is an obvious application for us as a church. That doesn't mean, um, and this may be a question that comes up, this doesn't mean the congregation doesn't get to speak into things, all right? Um, that, that will still be a congregational church, but we will be elder-led. We'll talk more and more about what that looks like uh, because the church ought to be involved. It's like a family. I, I think of it in terms, I think of it often as like uh, a father and a mother and their kids. A healthy family, I mean, Kids aren't going to, you know, fire the mom and dad or say, hey, mom and dad, here's how you should spend your money, right? There's leadership, but a healthy family, as kids get to an age of maturity, man, kids ought to be involved in some things. I think of um, when we moved here, part of our, you know, our kids were teenagers. We're like, okay, we feel like God is leading us here, but we want our kids to be a part of this process, um, and so we'll, we'll talk more about how that fleshes out in our church, but that's an application for our church. Let me end with an application for each of us. And this is really simple, y'all. Um, we're all called to be leaders. We are all called to lead and to have influence, whether that's in your home, and your workplace. We're all called to, first of all, lead ourselves, to have godly character, to pursue Christ. We're all to lead ourselves. And then this is what the year of mission is all about. We're called to lead others. We're called to lead others to Christ and to point others to him, to invest in other people. That's what we're called to. This is what making disciples is all about. But here's the last thing. None of us were called to go it alone. None of us were called to do this on our own. We need one another and we need to be partnering with each other and serving together and growing together. We all need each other. No one is called to do this alone, which may I add, I am not called to lead alone. And this is why we're talking about all of this as we move forward. But let me just say this as we wrap up and we continue to worship. We're all under the authority and the care of our chief shepherd, Jesus. Amen. He's the head of the body of the church, and in all we do, in our leadership, and in all that we do, we look to him. And so, Lord, thank you for this morning. We can look into your word. Lord, thank you that you haven't left us to figure things out on our own or look to worldly models, but God, we can look to the scriptures. We can look to your truth, and Lord, we can bring ourselves in alignment to what you have said. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us in, uh, in our individual personal lives, in our homes, in our families, uh, and corporately as a church, would you help us to bring ourselves uh, under the authority and into alignment with what you have, have shown us? Uh, Lord, we want to submit to you. We want to follow you. Thank you for being our leader, our chief shepherd. Lord, thank you for giving your church uh, leadership. And Lord, I want the leadership in this church to more accurately reflect what you have said in your word. 
And I know, Lord, as we get more healthy in that area, that this church will grow more healthy. And as our leadership grows more healthy, God, we will be able to more fully accomplish what you have called us to accomplish. And that's to make disciples of all the nations. And so, Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We need your wisdom. We need your guidance. We need your help. And so, Lord, Lord, we look to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.